0: Chapter 16 of The Last Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Vendetti, MikeVendetti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray. Chapter 16 The longest day in Jonathan Zane's life. The oddest, the most terrible, and complex with unintelligible emotions was that one in which he learned that the wilderness no longer sufficed for him. He wandered through the forest like a man lost. Searching for, he knew not what. Rambling along the shady trails, he looked for that contentment, which had always been his, but found it not. He plunged into the depth of deep, gloomy ravines, into the fastness of heavy-timbered hollows where the trees hid the light of day. He sought the open, grassy hillsides, and roamed far over meadow and plain yet something always eluded him the invisible and beautiful life of all inanimate things sang no more to his heart the springy moss the quavering leaf the tell-tale bark of the trees the limpid misty eddying pools under green banks the myriads of natural objects from which he had learned so much and the manifold joyous life around him no longer spoke with soul-satisfying faithfulness. The environment of his boyish days, of his youth and manhood, rendered not a sweetness as of old. His intelligence, sharpened by the pain of new experience, told him he had been vain to imagine that he, because he was a borderman, could escape the universal destiny of human life. Dimly he could feel the broadening, the awakening into a fuller existence but he did not welcome this new light. He realized that men had always turned at some time in their lives to women even as the cypress leans toward the sun. This weakening of the sterner stuff in him, this softening of his heart, and especially the inequitude and lack of joy and harmony in his old pursuits of the forest trails bewildered him and troubled him some. Thousands of times his borderman trail had been crossed yet never to his sorrow until now when it had been crossed by a woman sick at heart hurt in his pride darkly savage sad remorseful and thrilling with awakened passion all in turn he roamed the woodland unconsciously visiting the scenes where he had formerly found contentment he paused by many a shady glen and beautiful quiet glade by gray cliffs and mossy banks searching with moody eyes for the spirit which evaded him here in the green and golden woods rose before him a rugged giant rock moss-stained and gleaming with trickling water tangled ferns dressed in autumn's russet hue lay at the base of the green gray cliff and circled a dark deep pool dotted with yellow leaves Halfway up the perpendicular ascent was broken by a protruding ledge upon which waved broad-leaved plants in rusty ferns above the cliff sheared out with many cracks and seams in its weather-beaten front the forest grew to the verge of the precipice a full foliaged oak and a luxuriant maple the former still fresh with its dark green leaves the latter making a vivid contrast with its pale yellow purple-red and orange hues leaned far out over the bluff a mighty chestnut grassed with gnarled roots deep into the broken cliff. Dainty plumes of goldenrod swayed on the brink. Red berries, amber moss, and green trailing vines peeped over the edge and every little niche and cranny, sported fragile ferns and pale-faced asters. A second cliff, higher than the first, and more heavily wooded, loomed above, and over it sprayed a transparent film of water, thin as smoke and iridescent in the sunshine far above where the glancing rill caressed the mossy cliff and shone like gleaming gold against the dark branches with their green and red purple leaves lay the faint blue of the sky jonathan pulled on down the stream with humbler heart his favorite waterfall had denied him the gold that had gleamed there was his sweetheart's tear the red was her lips the dark pool with its light and shades its unfathomable mystery was like her eyes he came at length to another scene of milder aspect an open glade where the dancing dimpling brook raced under dark hemlocks and where blood-red sumac leaves and beech leaves like flashes of sunshine lay up against the green under a leaning birch he found a patch of purple asters and a little apart from them by a mossy stone a lonely fringed gentian its deep color brought him the dark blue eyes that haunted him and once again like one possessed of an evil spirit he wandered along the merry watercourse. but finally pain and unrest left him when he surrendered to his love peace returned though he said in his heart that helen was not for him he felt he did not need to torture himself by fighting against resistless power he could love her without being a coward he would take up his life where it had been changed, and live it, carrying this bittersweet burden always. Memory now that he admitted himself conquered, made a toy of him, bringing the sweetness of fragrant hair and eloquent eyes, and clinging arms and dewy lips a thousandfold harder to fight than pain, was the seductive thought that he had but to go back to Helen, to feel again the charm of her presence, to see the grace of her person to hear the music of her voice, to have again her lips on his. Jonathan knew then that his trial had but begun, that the pain and suffering of a borderman's broken pride and conquered spirit was nothing, that, to steel his heart against the joy, the sweetness, the longing of love, was everything. So a tumult raged within his heart. No bitterness nor wretchedness stabbed him as before. But a passionate yearning, born of memory, and unquenchable as the fires of the sun burned there. Helen's reply to his pale excuses, to his duty, to his life, was that she loved him. The wonder of it made him weak. Was not her answer enough? "I love you," three words only, but they changed the world. A beautiful girl loved him. She had kissed him, and his life could never again be the same she had held out her arms to him and he cold curlish unfeeling brute had let her shame herself fighting for her happiness for the joy that is a woman's divine right he had been blind he had not understood the significance of her gracious action he had never realized until too late what it must have cost her what heartbreaking shame and scorn his refusal brought upon her if she ever looked tenderly at him again with those great eyes or leaned toward him with her beautiful arms outstretched he would fall at her feet and throw his duty to the winds swearing his love was hers always and his life forever so love stormed in the borderman's heart Slowly the melancholy Indian summer day waned as jonathan strode out of the woods into a plain beyond where he was to meet wetzel at sunset a smoky haze like a purple cloud lay upon the gently waving grass he could not see across the stretch of prairie land though at this point he knew it was hardly a mile wide with the trilling of the grasshoppers alone disturbing the serene quiet of this autumn afternoon all nature seemed in harmony with the declining season. He stood a while, his thoughts becoming the calmer for the silence and loneliness of this breathing meadow. When the shadows of the trees began to lengthen and to steal far out over the yellow grass, he knew the time had come, and, glided out upon the plain, he crossed it, and sat down upon a huge stone which lay with one shelving end overhanging the river. Far to the west the gold-red sun too fiery for his direct gaze, lost the brilliance of its undercircle behind the fringe of the wooded hill. Slowly the red ball sank. When the last bright gleam had vanished in the dark horizon, Jonathan turned to search the wood and plain. Wetzel was to meet him at sunset. Even as his first glance swept around, a light step sounded behind him. He did not move, for that step was familiar in another moment the tall form of wetzel stood beside him i'm about as much behind as you was ahead of time said wetzel we'll stay here for the night and be off early in the morning under the shelving side of the rock and in the shade of the thicket the bordermen built a little fire and roasted strips of deer meat then puffing at their long pipes they sat for a long time in silence while twilight let fall a dark gray cloak over river and plain. Leggett's move up the river was a blind, as I suspected, he said Wetzel presently. He's not far back in the woods from here and seems to be waiting for something or somebody. Brant and Seven Redskins are with him. We'd have a good chance at them in the morning. Now we've got em a long ways from their camp, "'So we'll wait and see what deviltry they're up to. "'Maybe he's waiting for some engine band,' suggested Jonathan. There's redskins in the valley and close to him, "'but I reckon he's barking up another tree. "'Suppose we run into some of these engines?' "'I'll have to take what comes,' replied Wetzel, "'lying down on a bed of leaves.' When darkness enveloped the spot, Wetzel lay wrapped in deep slumber while Jonathan sat against the rock, watching the last flickerings of the campfire End of chapter sixteen